Thank you for listening to the Habits and Hustle podcast made possible by our friends at True Niagen. So I've been a huge fan of True Niagen for years and I'm excited to share that I've recently began partnering with them. I literally don't miss a day taking it and think if you're only going to take one supplement, this is the one. And here's why, with of course a little bit of added science lesson for you. Our bodies produce a molecule called NAD, which is critical for cellular energy and repair. But the levels sadly decline as we age. A nutrient that can help increase our NAD is a form of vitamin B3 called nicotamide robicide. That's a mouthful, or otherwise known as NR. The most efficient way to get this is with a supplement like Trinogen because it's the best NAD precursor. True Niagen helps support our bodies against everyday stressors that can damage our cells like overeating, drinking, or staying up too late. In my opinion, no one is too young to take it. I wish I had known about this in my early 30s because I would have been all over it. What's most amazing is that True Niagen is backed by 18 clinical trials and has the endorsements of two Nobel Prize winning scientists. Go check it out at trueniagen.com. That's trueniagen, T-R-U-N-I-A-G-N. And we have a special offer for new customers to receive 20% off orders of $100 or more using the code HUSTLE20. Definitely run, don't walk, to scoop some up today. Hi guys, it's Tony Robbins. You're listening to Habits and Hustle. Crush it. What is this like a jumpsuit? It's yeah, so cute. Th- thank you. Coming from you, that's actually a big compliment. I'm obsessed with jumpsuits. Zip I'm obsessed with them too. It's easy. Easy. I have no patience. I have none. No patience yeah, at all. But no I patience. thought you were like a fashion, like a fashion. I am, diva. but I'm fast. I'm fast fashion. You know, I know what I like. And I do you just, it, and I tend to skew towards comfortable always. Me, I if can't I'm not wear comfortable, anything. I'm not wearing it. Who made that? This is Bottega. It's really cute on you. you. It's really cute. cute. And it's short. You dress like a 14-year-old. Well, you look like a 14-year-old, <laughs> I've got to say. I'll take it. You do. Doesn't Let's you hope know? a whole bunch of guys think so. I mean, oh. I know. They they do. <laughs> I'm sure they do. I'm going to keep this, by the way. It, okay, guys, I just started the podcast. I, untraditionally, I'm just going to keep this in because okay. it's so cute. We have Julia Hart on the podcast today, guys. And uh, if you guys don't know who she is, uh, she's super entertaining and controversial. I keep, I keep saying that word, but it's but true. I like it. Keep it, calling me controversial. It is. I'm going to keep on calling yeah. you that because uh, I think you kind of are. It's very you're very polarizing. Well, you know what it is. It's when you're a disruptor. Yes. This people who are part of the status quo, they really don't like you. Mm-hmm, exactly. It's very true. When you're like mediocre, you blend in, yeah, right? I mean, I stand out wherever I go, and I make noise, and there are a lot of people who don't like that. Well, I want to talk about all of this. So Mm. just to kind of give people a little bit of an idea, uh, Julia wrote a book called Brazen, which by the way, I love that name. Thank you. Because isn't it, it's bold, because my whole thing is bold, Bold. but brazen is bold with an edge really more, right? What is the definition of brazen? Uh, I don't, you know, probably we'd have to look it up in the dictionary, but for me, what it means is to be yourself unapologetically. That's right. Constantly, no matter who you're with or where you are, you are true to who you truly are. I love that. That's brazen. I, when I saw the the title of your book, it just like, I, I just, it resonated so deeply. I Thank love you. that name. 
Uh, and of course, her show is called Unorthodox Life. It's my on- unorthodox life. I don't know if it matters. What? My unorthodox. Oh life. my! Well, I always mm-hmm. call it an unorthodox life. Oh, because mm-hmm. there's unorthodox, and then there's my unorthodox life. Well, you heard it here. My unorthodox <laughs> life. And the show is super popular on Netflix. They have a season two coming whenever it comes out. Um, I hope soon because yes. people were obsessed with that show. Thank you. Yeah. It's, I mean, it was really an extraordinary experience. And I think my favorite part of it was people DMing me that they chose not to commit suicide because they saw the show or they left an abusive marriage or they started the business they've been dreaming of. And so to hear people respond to it the way that I was really hoping they would, that they would go and change their lives, it makes the rest of the crazy. Yeah, yeah, Because there's a lot of crazy. so much. It makes a lot, it's a lot of crazy. There's so much crazy. Your whole life, by the way, is like extraordinary and and crazy. And initially, the way I even knew about you and or your show was, to be honest, from the Jewish people, right? Like the Jewish community. I'm Jewish, I'm not Orthodox, but- It, which is very, by the way, people who are Jewish and very Orthodox is a very different people. Very different. People don't know. They there's don't a, realize how, and also even within the Orthodox community, there's a thousand gradations. Unbelievable. Yeah. Like I was, like, is Lubavitch and Hasidic yeah. di- different? Well, Lubavitch is a form of Hasidus. It's one of the sects. It's one of the Hasidic sects. But a lot of Hasidim don't like Lubavitch because they feel that, the Lubavitchers have deified their rabbi and made him almost like a Jesus. Oh. So there's a lot of controversy. But in the end, every you know, this group doesn't get along with that group who doesn't get along with that group. But if you melt it all down, it's all the same thing. Whether you're wearing a black hat or a fur hat, whether you're covering your hair with a pillbox or a wig, in the end, it's still a woman has to cover her hair because a man shouldn't get attracted to her. So yes, there are all these different kind of customs in this Hasidic community versus this Haredi community, but the underlying core beliefs are the same. So then what is, okay, so what is the most of all the groups? What, because I don't even know this, what is the most orthodox so in, of all? There's really, I would say two groups. There's the Hasidic world, right? And there's what's called the yeshivish world. Yes. The yeshivish, and the, really the difference between the integral original difference between Hasidus and Litvish, Yeshivish people is Hasidus is focused on the synagogue. The, you know, they spend hours in prayer, and then most of the men do go out and work. In my world, in the Yeshivish world, um, in the black hat world, yeah. it's the focus is on the yeshiva. It's on the place of learning. And so they pray much faster, right? Prayers over in an hour and a half, boom, boom, boom. And then they go and sit for seven hours and study in a yeshiva. So the the focus is more on learning than on prayer. That's really the intellectual conceptual difference. And Hasidim, so it depends, pretty much all Hasidus is very separatist, right? It's, It's pretty extremist. I would say other than Lubavitch who go out and proselytize to non-religious Jews, most Hasidim stay completely separate from the outside world. In my world, in the black hat world, there's a thousand gradations because it's all dependent on your level of connectivity to the outside world. Right. So you could be a black hatter and have a TV, or you could be a black hatter and not even have a telephone with with internet service. So there's just a hundred gradations within. So my family is what was called a brisker family from this very, very 
intense yeshiva called Brisk, very religious, very extremist. You know, uh, we didn't eat strawberries or broccoli because there could be bugs on it. Um, you know, the walls of my house were not allowed to see my uncovered hair, you know, so it's really this concept. Is that, are you serious? Of, oh yeah, totally serious. So if it's you in could, the book. So, cause there are, I, I, I remember reading the bugs mm-hmm. in the, in the strawberries and yep. all that. So, cause like I said, I'm very familiar with a lot of the rules of mm. the Orthodox space, but not even, I, I thought I was knowledgeable about it, but apparently yeah, you not don't at realize, all. Because it's a yeah. very small group of people in the end. It's probably a million or 2 million, a couple million people, which is still quite a large number if you think about it. But, you know, predominantly Orthodox Jews do not live the way I do. Most modern Orthodox Jews go to college, have televisions, live very normal, you know, lives. They keep kosher. So what? People Keep vegan, you know, I mean, right. it makes no difference. Modern's but different, though. Modern is extremely different. It means, they're key, to me, that's authentic Judaism. And all the way through conservative Judaism, reform Judaism, all the other Judaisms, in my personal opinion, are wonderful. It's when you take things to the extreme in any religion. Yeah. It doesn't any, have anything, anything to do with Judaism. The same rules that made my life a misery are the same rules that make women who live in fundamentalist Islam miserable women who live in fundamentalist Mormonism or Christianity or Hinduism, whatever it is, when you take it to the extreme, that's when it becomes problematic. And then if you look at the rules that apply to those women and that apply to me, it's all the same rules. It's all men aren't capable of controlling themselves. Women have to hide themselves. So men shouldn't sin. Women are responsible for men's thoughts and behaviors. And our purpose in life is to be obedient to our husbands and to have a lot of children. And that's the world I come from. And you see that in all kinds of fundamentalist communities. So in your book, you said something that I never knew, which I thought was interesting. You can't, did you say you can't cross your legs because it's a, it, it kind of, it focuses attention on the vaginal area. So why crossing? I thought crossing would be better. Well, no, because look at where, you know, it's, directly focused here, right? You're crossing and you're kind of putting, I mean, I don't know, don't get me no, started. I, I, I'm it's trying to understand hard the logic. To explain. No, I understand what you mean. You know you what mean. someone told me, because there's still friends of mine who talk to me who live in the community. Oh, they still do? Some yeah, of yeah, them? yeah. Um, of course, secretly, because otherwise they'd get thrown out of their synagogue, right. but secretly behind the scenes, they speak to me. And one of them sent me a video of this rabbi um, who himself is so shocked by this. His daughter comes home from a base yako, from a school that I went to, uh, the same type of school, and tells him, and I think she was around 10 years old, but I don't remember exactly, that her teacher taught the class that she's not allowed to go outside with wet hair. Now, a 10-year-old, we're talking not married, because in my world, you have to cover your hair only once you got married. And so... Why? You ready for this one? Because if a man sees a girl outside with wet hair, he'll think to himself, oh, where did she get her wet hair from? The shower. And then he'll think of her naked. So therefore, a girl cannot go outside with wet hair because some guy might think about her in the shower. I mean, it's just, it's ludicrous. But once you start and accept that concept that men are incapable of controlling themselves and that their sins on our, are on our heads, then anything becomes a rule. Then you can go to the nth degree with that. To what point do you cover up a woman? To what point do you make her hide? To what point do you make her silent? 
you know, how far do you go with that? Well, if that rule is there, anything is possible. So why would you have to cover your hair within the, like at home when no one's watching, like no one's there? The walls of your house shouldn't see your nakedness so that you can have righteous children. So some of this stuff is even, it's ridiculous. And you, it's ludicrous. Like it's so, and it's frightening because everyone around you believes it. Everyone you know thinks it's as true as the microphone in front of us. But how can that be? Like, you know, you you say, like, first of all, let's let's back up a second. Because you come from parents who are very bright. Like your family oh, brilliant. are brilliant. Like brilliant. your mom is yeah. brilliant. Your dad is brilliant. Mm-hmm. And they you come from Russia. They're, they're from Russia, yep. right? Yep. And then they come from a communism background. Yeah. And they became, you know, very disillusioned with communism. And, and they pick this? And so, but think about it. This to me is the only explanation I can give. You have to understand. My mother has two PhDs, one in mathematics and one in philosophy. She got a gold medal from the USSR because this is in the 70s. This is the USSR for never from kindergarten through her PhD getting one answer on a single test wrong. And she chooses a religion where women are not supposed to be educated, where women are told that their minds are inferior to men. Go figure. But if you think about it, she was brought up in a world where she was taught that you have to suffer for an ism. You have to be a martyr to a cause. And when communism betrayed my parents and, you know, there was so much anti-Semitism there and they started learning about Judaism under the table and my father gets arrested and eventually we get traded for grain and brought to this country. For them, these two young idealistic people, they just replaced one ism, communism, with another ism, Judaism. Right. And And so they chose the most intense version that would be the most difficult and that my mother could be martyred upon. And she was like, this is a woman who could have like done anything and been anything. She, I mean- you, she's literally to this day now I've met, you know, hundreds of thousands of people yeah. to this day. She's still the most brilliant person I've ever met in my life. And what do you like when you ask her now? Is she, well, what, she doesn't talk to me now. I was going to say, she, she, hasn't spoken she, to me. she still has, doesn't speak. No. So did they just write you off? Yep. And they have not spoken to you since. That's correct. So how does that like, like emotionally, how do you deal with that? You know, it's funny because I understand it. I can't, there's just no anger in my heart because think about it. Look how I live my life, right? Indoctrination is an extremely powerful thing. In their mind, they have been so indoctrinated with this concept that to be friends with me, to speak to me, could endanger their soul, their children's soul. I am like the physical embodiment of sin, right? I left the community. I left the derech. I left the path. And so to them, I'm dangerous. And not only did I leave, but I left and succeeded. Yeah, that's And that's true. even worse because you're supposed to leave and fail and die and commit suicide or go on drugs or do something because it's really an impossible journey to time travel 200 years into current world. Yeah. So they don't like success stories because success stories means you can leave. It is possible. Difficult, almost unimaginably so but doable. But don't they look and question it a little bit, given your success af- afterwards? Like they- Well, you know religion, and it's, uh, you can't logic someone there's out no of lo- it. Yeah, there's no and logic. And think about it. There's no logic. If, 
if I fail, it's, oh, you see, God is punishing her. If I succeed, oh, you see, God is rewarding her in this world because he's going to punish her in the next world. So it's a lose-lose no matter what yeah. you do. If you're successful, it's because God's going to hit you later. And if you're not successful, it's because he's hitting you now. It's, you know, an answer for everything. So what happens, there can't just be, and I mean, this in this world, right? There's not just like, you're not the only uh, strong, dominant personality. Like, how is it like that people's, this is more of a psychological question, <laughs> that their personalities become so dormant where that doesn't break through? Well, because it's not that your personality becomes dormant. It's that you're convinced that this is what God wants. And this is the only way to goodness. And most people innately want to be good. And, you know, the, <coughs> excuse me, the genius of extremist religions is that it convinces you to police yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. So they, a lot of these people don't watch. Did you have, you didn't have, you had a TV when you had the baby, right? And <coughs> Shlomo, my Shlomo, second. right. And then I was supposed to get rid of it, but I kind of didn't. And as you see, it's very gradual, my connectivity to the outside world. First, I'm only Super watching aggressive. 50s and 60s. Then I go into the 70s and 80s. Then I start watching current television. My first show, I think, was Sex and the City in my mid-30s. And then it's another almost 10 years of educating myself, reading books, trying to learn as much about the outside world as humanly possible. But it's still time travel. Yeah, It's like if you would read a million books about deep sea diving, and then you watched videos about deep sea diving, but you'd never actually been in the water, not very helpful. Mm, exactly. Not very helpful. And that's what it's like. I watched about the outside world. I studied the outside world. I read about the outside world, but I'd never experienced it. And to walk into a world where no one knows your name, no one's ever heard of you, you have no past, no connections, and you literally know nothing. You've never been to prom. You haven't been to college. You didn't have the normal high school experience. You didn't get to go out on dates. You didn't get to meet guys. You didn't fall in love. Normal life, normal life. was taken away from me. Well, don't even go there yet because I want to talk. I'm going to go all into go all that it. stuff because yes. that's like part two. Part two. I want to talk about the evolution of how you even like your life as this person and how you broke away from it all. Uh, but I wanted to talk about a couple of things that I was like completely shocked at. Go for it. That you like nursed your brother while you were nursing my daughter. Your daughter. That's right. Because in my world, uh, birth control is not a thing, right? Right. So, I mean, do people take birth control? Yes. As you read in the book, there's all sorts of rules and regulations around it. But it is very frowned upon, extremely frowned upon. And you're literally guilted to death if you try it. So um, my mother and I were pregnant at the same time. My youngest brother is six months younger than my eldest daughter. And we had the same OBGYN and delivered in the same hospital. And my mother was not able to nurse any of her children. She just didn't have the, you know, you know not everyone has that capability. And so when Bacheva was born, I was like a milk farm. I donated milk. I mean, I just, it just didn't stop. You yeah. know? I literally could have nursed 17 more children. And so my mother was like, oh, well, you're already nursing Vacheva. And my brother's name is Shlomo. So I have a son Shlomo and a brother Shlomo, named yeah. after two separate Shlomos, actually. But um, my brother Shlomo, she's like, well, can't you nurse him? So I was like, okay. So I nursed my brother Shlomo and my daughter Vacheva at the same time. 
I think that's, I, yeah. I don't know, I was so... Go figure. <laughs> I, I, was, I was so blown away about, about, I don't know why that was like, what? Like, it is it just weird seems so in crazy. today's day and age, it's insane. Because don't forget, you get married at 19. And your mother gets married at 19. And your your daughter will be married at 19. So at 48, you could be having grandchildren. It's it's really unbelievable to me. Oh, sorry. At 38, you could be having grandchildren. That, technically. It, yeah. Yeah. And like, do you have no idea about music and pot? Like, no, I mean, again, it depends on your level of connectivity. As you saw, right. I kind of slowly, gradually progressed towards it. But, you know, non-Jewish music, non-Jewish literature, non-Jewish. If it's not religious, don't dirty your soul with it. Right. What was the okay? So what was the first thing that kind of like inched you into uh, secular life? My daughter, Miriam. You know, because um, as I got older, all of these restrictions, constantly being told that I'm stupider than men, that I need to be silent, that I should stop asking questions, it weighs on you until the misery just builds and builds and builds. But they had done such a good job indoctrinating me that I was convinced that it's not that the system was flawed, it's that I was flawed, that I couldn't be happy with that system. Right. And then comes around my daughter and when she's five years old, she starts asking all the questions I've been thinking silently without ever giving voice to in my mind. Right. But she was asking that and she was five and no one could convince me that my five-year-old was evil. So they right. managed to convince me that I was. Right. But when I hear from the mouth of my five-year-old child, this isn't logical. And she would ask very simple questions. She would say, I want to play soccer. And my husband would say, well, you have to wear a skirt. And if your skirt runs up and someone will see your knees and it's inappropriate. And she would say, well, what's inappropriate? And he would say, well, a man might see you and have bad thoughts about you. And so it's better for you not to play sports. And so Miriam said, well, is he responsible for my actions? My five-year-old. And I was like, yeah, wait a minute. Yeah, right. Is he responsible for her actions? And so hearing these things coming out of the mouth of a five-year-old child, she gave me permission to say, no, it's not that something's wrong with me. It's the laws themselves that are problematic. And so that began me on my journey to secularism. That was the first that thing. That was the first thing. She gave, I think that's the biggest step in anyone's journey to change anything about their life is to give yourself permission to acknowledge that something is wrong. That's right. the first step. And that was like, and, be, and, be, and that's the most frightening step in a way, because the catalyst for that's that. to say, I'm not happy. And I'm going to acknowledge that fact is frightening in the sense that it forces you to face that and then yeah. to come to terms with that and then decide what you want to do about it. Well, that problem is when you ignore, when you have that acknowledgement, then you have to do something. Exactly. About it. it forces you to yes. say, now what do I do about it? And like, did you speak to anybody about this? Like, did you no have a friend, friend you can confide in? Like another Not little a single girl or? Being. Nothing. I was so afraid that if I told anyone, they would take away my children. And so I didn't Could tell. they really do that? Yeah, of course. Of course. I have so many people, so many friends who, whose children are not allowed to speak to them anymore. Most people who live in my community don't get to speak to their children. Most women who leave have to leave their children behind, which is the most, the, the worst imaginable. But how is that possible? Like women. Because like religion 
overpowers. Who are these they that lets you not see the kids? The husband, the The, not just the husband, but the children themselves don't want to see you because you left the path. And they're taught again that you are the physical embodiment of evil. So that's so scary. It is. I mean, and don't forget, you know, think about all these religions when people leave the religion. Yeah. They lose their families because they're demonized by the culture that they've left. So it's extremely rare. I'm very fortunate that my children came with me because in most cases that does not happen. Never. That's why you're very rare. That's why your story to me is, I mean, it's like fascinating. So then, so what's the first thing that happens? So like walk us through this whole life. Uh, oh gosh. Walk us through your life, Julia. Oh my I goodness. Mean, it's a really long book. You got to buy it's it. So lo- by the way. <laughs> it's only 412 it's pages. A long it's not book. so bad. It's a long yeah, book. It was though. 1740 pages when I handed How it much? Them. 1,740 pages. Uh, Believe me, there's a lot of stories I didn't tell. Are you serious? I kid you not. Because that was a long book for like a lot of yeah. these books. I got to go through a lot of books. I can imagine. And your book was like double the size. Yeah, it's 14, 400 and some odd pages. And there's some like crazy stories in there, like yes, the sex stuff. Oh, yeah. I thought for a second I was like reading like Fifty Shades of Grey. Ooh, thank I was, like, you. I, I wasn't expecting it. Like I was listening to it <laughs> while I'm working out. No, but there's, sudden, no, there's no dominant and submissive. No, no, life. no. If anyone's I'm dominant. Equal partner. Okay, no, I you... want to equal. I'm an equal partner person. <laughs> no, I want to but... dominate and I don't want to be submissive. No, no, thank you. It was very, your book was extremely, um, it was, it, open. Was, it was very open. It was yes. super honest. And yeah. did you, by the way, did a lot of like, you told a lot of stories even about your business partners mm-hmm. and everything else. Mm-hmm. Are those, I the... made, I made up all their names. Okay. Because like, and I changed all the facts about them. I was going to say, was that like defamation right, lawsuits exactly. will be all well, over no, you? No, it wouldn't be. Defamation's only for you lie. Oh, that's right. That's true. So it wouldn't be a defamation lawsuit. It was more that I just didn't feel it was necessary to ruin people's lives. So then, okay. So at this time when you, so you had this, this catalyst with, with your daughter, what's, what do you do now? Now you've acknowledged it. And then now you start read a lot. Start. I mean, I had, as you saw, if you read the book, I'd been reading before, but very differently. Now I started reading with a purpose to really educate myself because I knew I had no education. Right. And I knew that if I was going to go into the outside world, basically. So you knew you were going to do that. I wanted, I knew I wanted to do that. Okay. I didn't know if I ever would have the guts to actually okay. actuate it. Right. But I knew that's what I wanted. That was the goal. That, that was the goal. Okay. And then, you know, what I realized is. And how old like, are you there, by the way? I don't mean to. Mid thirties. Mid thirties. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, I had Miriam when I was 30, 29 or 30. And so when she was five, I was around 35 years old. Um, and so, you know, it's like, you see these astronauts who prepare for a mission. That's what it felt like. I was preparing for a mission to Mars, to a world I knew nothing about. Right. I was time traveling into a world that I knew nothing, knew nothing of. And so I tried to educate myself. I read Voltaire, Euripides, Cicero, Spinoza, you know, you name it, I have read it. All the classics. Um, How do you have time? Well, first of all, I'm in a ridiculous insomniac. I don't sleep. Um, and when I lived in Texas, I learned how to speed read. So I read crazy fast. Like how fast do you read? How fast can I you could, read your own book? I could read my own book probably in an hour and a half. No way. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 very useful. <laughs> it comes in handy. So how did you... How did because you the difference from- is it's actually really simple. Anyone can do it. It's learning. Most people read with their mouth. Yeah. As if right. they're pronouncing the words. But think about what your eye can grasp. Your eye can so grasp true. so much more 
at such a faster rate than your mouth can say. Yep. So if you learn to read with your eyes instead of with your lips, you know, your speed is multiplied by a hundred. I mean, it's, it's not comparable. And are you able to retain the information? Oh, yeah, it's the same. I read like you read. It's just, I'm not mouthing the words. I'm Do looking you ever at the audio books or no? I don't. I'm a visual, totally a visual yeah. learner. I'm not an audio learner at all. So you were so. By the way, I wanted to ask you, what was the day in the life of your old life? What was the day? Like, what time did so you wake up? When what was the- I was teaching, so I was generally nursing my baby, go to school, do the morning prayers with my students, stay in school till around five, six o'clock, do the afternoon prayer, come home, cook dinner, serve dinner. Do homework with the kids, put the kids to sleep, prepare the, you know, classes for the next day, uh, grade papers, uh, you know, start preparing for Shabbos, which is happens every weekend is basically like making Thanksgiving every weekend. And yeah, that was my life. Work, work, family, work. Wow, your life is different now, Oh, right? it's very different now. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> unbelievable. But are you still... Are you still do like do you still do Shabbat and stuff like that? By I the do way? Shabbat when Aaron comes. I mean, okay. my version of Shabbat. You know, right. I I have a kosher kitchen in my house. I have kosher pizza oven. I have everything kosher for Aaron. Uh-huh. And I love the concept of Shabbat. is so beautiful, family together. I love the food, so I do that now. Um, but not, I don't observe it. Yeah, you're not yeah. observing. I do the meal. Just for, I do things. Uh, more that are cultural and to please my son and to just spend family time together. And I'm very proud to be Jewish. I mean, I'm pretty much out there saying, hi, everyone, I'm a Jew. Right, right, right. So I'm just talking more about the fundamentals. I'm talking about a very small group. And again, it has nothing to do with Judaism. And the biggest proof of it is that those same rules that I have an issue with exist in every fundamentalist culture across the board. Right. Not, well, this is what I was going to say earlier to you was that when I heard about you in the show and da, 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 mm-hmm. um, it was because of the, or like, have you like all the Jewish people were like, yeah. some, all my right. Jewish friends were like, did you see this show? Yeah. You've got to watch this thing. <laughs> I felt like it was very much like a Jewish centric show, but what I, was I wrong? I mean, it no, was like, I mean, very, I think it was very popular across the board. What's really interesting is like, it was number two in Lebanon. It was number two in New Zealand and Australia. It was number one in, oh gosh, I think it was number one for a while in Brazil. And so I think because I kept on saying it's not about Judaism, I love being a Jewish person. As you see, if you watched all nine episodes, you see I show the beauty uh, in Judaism, that there's loving kindness, community, charity, gratitude, all sorts of beautiful traits that are really espoused there. It's about certain archaic laws right. that keep women down that need to go. Right. So and that's asking for laws to be changed is an act of love, not an act of hate. It's that simple. And if you think about the suffragettes, you know, um, when the when the show came out, there was this whole my orthodox life thing on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And it was women taking photos of themselves with their children saying how happy they were. And you know, what is sad about that is that it's twofold. Number one, it's not a happiness contest. Think about when women marched for the right to vote. Was their argument, the 24 million women in the United States are all unhappy? No. I guarantee you out of those 24 million women, 
22 of them didn't care whether they had the right to vote or not. They were used to not having the right to vote. They were mothers and wives and they were perfectly content with their life. But the law was unjust. I see what you're saying. It wasn't a happiness question. It was a, is this law just? Is it just that a woman can't vote? It is not just. Is it just that a woman can't get a mortgage on her own without a man? Not just. Is it just that she can't get a credit card without a man? Not just. Is it just that a man in my community could beat his wife, throw her out of a window, and she's not allowed to divorce him without his permission? That is not just. I don't care how many people are happy or not happy. The law is unjust, and the law needs to go. And so, you know, when you think about that, you realize, number one, it's not a happiness contest. What I'm trying to do is give your children, your daughters, and their daughters a better life. And I understand that you're content with what you have. It's not how it should be. Also, I think there's an element of two things I want to say. You don't know what you don't know, right? So exactly. you don't know what it's ignorant. Like you don't know what's out there. You can't. You can't. You don't, you don't miss what you've never you had. Exactly. You don't That's miss it. what you've never had. Exactly. And so, you know, I think about people in the 1800s. Were all women miserable? No. I'm sure the predominant amount of women were fine, but they were uneducated. They weren't allowed to live alone. They didn't have the same rights as men. And it's that, the quintessence of whether laws are just or unjust, that's what matters. So what do you say to people like when, like for the Jewish community, when, when they think that you th- you're throwing Jewish people under the bus? Have you heard that at all Yeah, before? of course. And okay. you know what, to me, again, any time someone points a light at some injustice, you're going to have haters by definition. And don't forget, the people who come out against me, they get lauded and praised. Their standing in the community is raised. They will have accolades. Their children will get better shaduchim, will get better matches if they attack me. Now support me, your kids will get thrown out of school No one will talk to you. My sister was given an ultimatum. Her children were threatened to be thrown out of school, the one who went on the show with me. And she was told, either cut off your sister or we're going to throw your kids out of school. And she chose to cut me off. She doesn't talk to me now either because she had to make that choice and she chose the community. So being my friend supporting me is an extremely dangerous dangerous thing to do publicly. And I learned from the experience of the show and in the book, if you go on brazenbook.com, there's a link called Sources. And because it's a book and so there's a lot more time to really expand upon things, I source every single word I say. And I don't, I shouldn't say I source because I had the help of this extraordinary woman. Her name is Penny Gold. Um, she actually is a transgender woman who is now a lawyer. She, her family comes from the same yeshiva brisk as my brothers mm. did. She remembers walking down the street as a guy spitting on inappropriately dressed women. And I needed someone who was in the yeshiva to help me source things because most women can't open the Gemara because first of all, they're not allowed to. And second of all, it's written in a language they're not taught. It's written in Aramaic. Mm. I taught myself how to read Aramaic. You did? Yeah, that's how I started studying the Gemara. And now believe me, any religious person, any religious person from my community who hears this says, aha, you see, this is what happens when you educate women. 
they go off the derech, they go off the path, and they become Julia's. So you see, this is why women should not be educated. So I'm actually a shining example of why women, you shouldn't educate women right, because right. they turn into Julia Hearts. And so, you know, now in the book, you see there's almost no negative anything. There are no, there's no people from the community coming out. It's really hard now because I've proven every word. Right, I pack up every single thing I say. So it's going to be a lot harder to call me a liar now. I don't think, I, I, I don't even think it's about being a, I think because these extreme, these extreme rules, there's no question. It's crazy. I'm sorry. They're but just wrong. They're, the rules are bad. It has nothing to do with the people and nothing to do with the religion. I think Zero. what I'm talking about more is not so much even from the fundamentalist community. Mm -hmm. I'm talking from the overall Jewish community. Oh, from the Jewish community, I've had the most incredibly positive because most people, I would say 99.999% has been very positive. Most people say we never get to see secular Jews portrayed on, um, on, on reality television. Yeah. You don't have a family that is openly, proudly Jewish who show the beauty of the world, not just that extremist thing. Right, right. And that is the show. If you actually watch the entire show, you see I show many different kinds of Judaism and we show how proud we are and we have a meal in the sukkah. I mean, there's no way you watch that show and think I'm, I don't like Jews. It's impossible. So either, you know, a lot of the hate came from my community or people who watched one episode and decided that I didn't like Jews. But anyone who's watched the entire show has had, I mean, anyone secular, I haven't had a single, I can't even think of a singular negative comment from a secular Jewish person I've gotten, not one. Really? Yeah. Because there's more about, like, I think also your show aired maybe when a lot of anti-Semitism was at its height. Yeah, I remember that. Because remember? when my show aired, there was um, that whole thing with uh, Israel and the bombings and all of that stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And I think from what well, my- I'm sorry, I can't control oh, I politics yeah. or what crazy yeah. <laughs> people do. Not, I mean, no, there are many things I can control. I can't control the politics people. I'm sorry No, of course. That. But I think the problem was more about the fact that people who aren't educated or mm -hmm. knowledgeable or don't know, can't decipher the difference- they feel like if you don't know any better or if you're just ignoramus. Just watch the whole show. Then you'll be fine. Then you'll be okay. Then you'll be okay. Yeah, so that, or read the book. Or read the book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, back to that book for a second. I mean, it's it's really... Okay, so talk about that because mm -hmm. you then became... You you basically transformed in a... Mm -hmm. in a like, it, it's really incredible. So okay. then you're, you learn all these things, you're reading all these things, and you gradually get yourself like... Because how did you're 42 when you leave this yeah. whole thing? I was about to be 43. I left in November of 2012. I became 43 in April. So like five months later. So you have no knowledge of anything. How did you? So wait, actually, you had one job I wanted to ask yeah. you about. Your met life. Met life. Yeah. So okay. So you. And I want you to talk about that and how that happened and the lessons you learned from that. I loved working at Met Life. I'll tell you, I have so much gratitude to them because. And you were still religious. Oh my God. Yes. I look like a religious nun slash librarian slash someone very trustworthy because I was covered at percent. I was like an old bubby, you know, <laughs> of course you're going to buy insurance from your 100%, old bubby. Right. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, it was an incredible experience. The woman who took me on was a, a, this lovely woman. I can't remember what I changed her name to in the book, but you know she had a very Jewish last name, although I found out later she just married a Jewish guy. She wasn't actually Jewish. Um, and she was the first convert I'd met. 
meaning she had converted for, and I was like first person who was still not religious convert. Cause of course there's religious converts in my community, but I'm meaning a woman who is not Jewish married to a Jewish guy. And in my world, that's like the worst thing there is because yeah. you're killing off the line of Jews and whatever. And then here she is and she's delightful and lovely. And I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> those two things don't gel. Right, she's right. amazing. I love her. But um, I think the things that I really learned from that life are don't ask. So, you know, one of the great greatest, I mean, if in the end, everything in life is sales, whether you're selling yourself, you're selling your vision, you're selling what your company is making. We all spend all day selling. Yeah. That's, that's what the, we do. That's the foundation. That of is the foundation of everything. Yeah. Uh, it's just the of, truth. Of life. Actually. Of life. Yeah. You're going to sell what restaurant you want to go to with your husband yeah, or your exactly. wife or whatever. Yeah. It's all sales. I agree. 100%. And so learning how, and to me, what does it mean to sell? You know, um, but why did you get the job in the first place? So it's funny because, um, Oh, that's a really good question too, but I'm going to just backtrack for a second. So, you know who, um, oh, what's her, what's her name? Hold on. It's, it just eluded me this very second. Stern. Um, Howard Stern? No, no, no. Oh. A woman from the 1940s who lived in France. Um, she and her brother, Leo, and oh my goodness, how did uh, I forgot her name? She was a famous collector of art. She's considered the mother of Impressionist art. Um, Dimitri, guys, please. Google Stern. Um, no, Bellister? no, no, no. Leo and I Gertrude. Okay, ha! took me a while. Gertrude, okay. Gertrude, Gertrude Stein. Jesus Christ. Oh, okay. Gertrude well, then Gertrude okay. Stein. Okay, I am abysmal with names. They are the bane of my existence. <laughs> but I'm very proud of myself. I remembered it. Okay, okay that's good. Gertrude though, you got Stein. It. Gertrude Stein. Okay. So Gertrude Stein and her brother Leo live in Paris. And at the time, the Academy de Beaux-Arts in Paris would not show Impressionist art because it had broken all the rules, right? It was a very different way of capturing light with all these little dots. And so she was the first place that many people were exposed to it because she would put Impressionist art all over her house, Monet, Manet, Degas, and all of the rest. And her house became this like salon intellectuelle. So you would have the Hemingways and all of these like you know, the intellectuals of that time, they would all come. And someone asked, what is people's reaction when they see Impressionism for the first time? And the line that her brother said to me is the quintessence of all sales. He said, they come to mock, but they stay to pray. And that's sales. When people don't understand what you're selling, when you are creating something new and people look at you like you're crazy until they realize it's brilliant. Right. That's with everything in life, right? Yeah. That's being a disruptor in That's general. being a disruptor. That's I mean, I started, when I took over UWG in 2019, I started the Avatars and Metaverse in 2019. By everyone told me I was that's crazy. Elite, that's elite for people. Yeah, who elite don't world know. group. Yeah. And everyone thought I was crazy. You know, we were taking the company public. We started doing that in... Uh, not even six months after I took the company over, we started that process and the bankers and everyone told me, Julia, don't talk about metaverse or avatars. People are going to think you're crazy. Of course, then COVID hit. And so we started monetizing that avatar division last year in 2021. It exploded. And now the minute Facebook became meta, yeah. it's all metaverse. It's all virtual. It's all avatars. But 
I'd been doing it for two years. We had the most hyper-realistic avatars out there. And so the things that you we've been able to You were doing that already? Yeah. I started that in 2019. And again, they come to mock. Everyone told me I was crazy. And here we are, exactly as I foresaw it. Of course, I couldn't foresee the personal stuff that uh, was coming my way. I wish I could have seen that one coming. I mean, that... Uh, but from the work perspective, you know, everything... I transformed the company into a digital talent is media company and look at the world today. I brought in virtual metaverse and avatars and look at the world today. More from our guest, but first a few words from our sponsor. A change of season always means longer days, better outdoor activities, and more ways to get healthier, including checking in on your health and wellness. With EverlyWell, you can take action today by taking one of their at-home lab tests or by adding their vitamins and supplements into your daily routine. With over 30 at-home lab tests, you'll be able to choose the test that makes the most sense for you to get the answers you need, like women's health tests, food sensitivity tests. There's so many to choose from. Here's how it works. Everlywell ships products straight to you with everything needed in one package. It is so convenient. And then you can share the results with your doctor and they can help guide your next steps. It is so simple to use. And like I said, so convenient. And for listeners of the show, Everlywell is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash habits. That's Everlywell, E-V-E-R-L-Y-W-E-L-L dot com slash habits for 20% off your next at-home lab test. Well, I want to talk, okay, so that's like, after you tell me this, I want to get all into the work stuff. You did actually ask me about MetLife, so. Yeah, because that was your first job, job. Like when I say job, like corporate, Yeah, no, exactly. So why did you take the job? Why? Because I needed to make money for my escape fund. So you knew, that was when you knew you were going to, that was your part of your plan. It was a, I'm too scared to really say it out loud, but just in case one day, maybe if I have the guts. Right. Plan. (laughs) <laughs> right, exactly. But you're so you're just gonna like you're gonna just just, just in case put it yeah. aside, just in case just in I case. ever have the guts to actually walk do out something. The door. Yeah, that was your first entree into like oh, yes. the world, and right? even then it wasn't really an entree because it was still us and them. I didn't talk to anyone. I didn't go to dinners with anyone. I didn't go out for lunch. I didn't meet with them socially or casually. They were still the dangerous people who hate Jews. And are going to burn me in ovens if I'm not careful. So even when I was working at MetLife, because I was still so religious and so extremist, I never became friends with any of them. I was a very big divide. But, um, you know. Did you work from home? uh, No, no. I went to the office every day and in my full garb. But most of most of selling life insurance, you're traveling to meet people. Right. So you, as you spend almost no time in the office. You're really in your car going from place to place. And um, How long were you there for? Basically every week, this is before the no calling, the no calling laws, right? Oh yeah, yeah. So I would, they would have this weekly contest where whoever got the most appointments from cold calls would get like an extra $500. I won every single week that I was there. Every single. Did week. you? Yeah, because <laughs> I wasn't such a stubborn, determined little human. <laughs> right, right. I wasn't giving up until I had gotten the most appointments. Very and that tenacious. Was that. Yes. So, you know, but you learn things like never say to a person, would you like to meet? 
say, would you like to meet Tuesday or Thursday? Or how's Thursday at five? And then they tell you, oh, maybe we do seven. But you take away that initial rejection and it works. It's amazing. So there's just so many things. Give me two more. Two more. So that one to me is my absolute favorite is you'd be surprised at what people will say yes to if you don't, if you assume that they say yes. I'm a big believer in that. So that's why I want you. you. Um, Yes. Um, I think number two, I would say is the most important thing of sales is listen. People think the more you talk, the more you sell. It's actually the diametric opposite. Because if you really want to connect with someone, you need to know what are they interested in? What makes them tick? What can I, how do I communicate what I'm selling in a way that is important in their world? Because, you know, we can look at the same river, you see an adventure, I see wet and cold, you know, it's, it's everything in life is so dependent on the person viewing it. Mm -hmm. And so I think the, the, the second thing that I learned from MetLife is to be a good listener, to be a good salesperson, you need to be a really good listener. And I think, I guess, number three is learning to get along and communicate and find, um, some ground of connectivity with people in every imaginable ethnicity, lifestyle, um, belief system. You know, I think what connects us is so much greater than what divides us. And it's finding those points of connection that can really get you far. So I learned all of that from MetLife. So I have tremendous amount of gratitude to them. Did you sell a lot of life insurance? I did. Yes. I sold a lot of whole life and, um, you know, uh, I was, I was good at it. Um, of course I didn't do it for too long. How long were you there? Mm, Probably not even over, probably just a year, maybe a year and a half because I got pregnant again Mm -hmm. and it was just too much. I was teaching in two schools, nursing a child, pregnant with my next child. And so it was just too much. So you got pregnant again, even though you were plotting your your escape. I have been pregnant 10 times, 10 pregnancies, six miscarriages, four children. That's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. That's a lot. At least you're fertile though. Well, yeah, no, no, honey, I have closed that shop down. Yeah. (laughs) If you want more children, do not date me, please. (laughs) You've got to love my children, but I cannot have any more. I raised my seven siblings. I've had 10 pregnancies. I have four children. I am done and dusted. How are you so fertile? <laughs> first of all, by the way, you are dating again. We're going to talk. Yes, I want to talk about that. I just went on dating apps for the first time on Saturday. I'm having so much fun. I love it. Julia <laughs> walks in here and she's like, oh my God, do you know that I'm on like a million dating apps? I just got on like on the weekend. I'm on Hinge. I'm on this one. This uh, which is one? so Hinge? fun. I know. Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm married. Oh my here. God. And who knows? My, my kids have been doing it all this time. And, you know, I've had quite the dry spell. I mean, I stopped having sex with my husband April 2020, so it's been a while. And, and you haven't dated anybody? So I went on my first um, app date. So I went on on Saturday, and I'm an overachiever. So Saturday night I went. You did? <laughs> yes. Okay, wait, because you're in L.A. right now. So hold on a second. You put yours Okay, forget about the rest of these boring questions. So you went on uh, Bumble. You went on Hinge. Yes. What else are you on? You're the on? The League. The League. Yeah, and then I just applied For the to Raya. Raya, but right. someone needs to help, like, you help with me one. with that one. And then I also, um, yeah, so that's it. The League, Raya, Hinge. And Bumble. Okay, so since it's only like a few days, which one's your favorite so far? Well, I don't know Raya because I haven't gotten on it yet. Right, right. Excluding that for, um, for a moment, but. 
It's, you know, it's hard to say because right now it's all very new and exciting. Like I go on my Bumble thing and there's like 7,000 people who want to go out with me. So that's kind of cool. That's a lot I of people. Know, you have to hire somebody just it's to go so, through know, all like, of it. How do you go through all those people? There's a, so how many. How do you go through all those people? Well, so that's exciting and fun and it feels really nice. Well, wait, how was your date on Saturday? It was very nice. I mean... Am I going to see him again? No. Well, who was he? Where, um, what was his story? Um, I probably shouldn't say. I'll be nice. Okay, call him a different name. But, but. you know, um, he was 30. And he was 30. 30 or maybe 31. Can we say how old you are? I'm 51. Okay, she's 51, but yeah. she looks like she's 21. I love you. No, <laughs> and I'm not just saying that to be polite. <laughs> I kid you. you not. And like, you look like a doll. Oh but my goodness, thank you. No, you I'll do. Take it. And you went out with a 30-year-old. Yeah. And then was it that he was too old for you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I only date 28-year-olds. I was going to say, I mean, to keep no, up with you. That, you know, it's just not. You know, no, but no, very no, no, nice. No. Where'd you go for your date? I, I, you know, I'm very, I, you know, I have very little time. So because I'm doing all this press for the book and yeah. I've got all these interviews and all these other things. So I did it nice and easy. The bar in my hotel. Oh, that's easy. How yeah. long did it last? 45 minutes? An hour? No, like an hour. It was, I mean, it was, it was very nice. I think for my first experience, the person who was on my phone actually appeared. He wasn't you know, fake. He hadn't exaggerated anything about himself and he was very personable and very nice. And, you know, am I going to see him again? No. And also I realized like, it doesn't make sense to date people in LA. I live in New York. Right. But you're so here a lot. Though. I am here a lot, but I think it's just a bit too complicated. It Unless is. Unless someone's going to keep flying back and forth, you know. Do you want a younger guy though? Cause yeah. Yeah. You know, um, before my husband, when I left my community until then, I'd only dated people who were much younger than I am. Now, do I care if someone's older? No, I don't really care. I think age really is just. How old is your ex? Well, that your guy, the, the husband. That yeah, I'm the currently ex- divorcing. He's yeah. early sixties. Okay, he's so not that old. No, it's just yeah. everyone else I dated before him was. 30s. Yeah, I, I remember from the book. Yeah, I'm t- just get the book just for yeah. the for the sexual <laughs> stories, and like oh I, I was like I was like blushing. I'm like, okay, how long? I mean, it was like crazy. Oh my goodness, I'm blushing every time I think about. I mean, I had to write it. Oh, because it, I had to show the You're, truth of my freedom, and did, to me, sexual freedom was part of that. One hundred percent. But I it's understand really it. embarrassing. Like when I. Think about the fact that people actually are going to read it. How about your kids oh reading it? Oh my God, it? my kids, no, no, no. So, Aaron is never going to read it. Oh, well, Please, maybe. my 14-year-old, my 15-year-old son does not need to ever read this book. Okay, but... but, but uh, Shlomo read a version that was um, censored by me. So, basically, I sent him a manuscript minus all the sex. Okay. So that he could read everything else without having to be nauseated by... His right. mother's sexual escapade. So he got a sanitized version. A sa- of okay, okay. And that um, Miriam read it full on. Um, Bacheva has not read it yet. She is planning on reading it once she has a significant other. She just wants someone to hold her hand uh, after I was she gonna say, reads it. And like, and she, she she should basically like smoke a joint. Yeah, or pretty like, much. She's got to be yeah. chill when she reads that. I so. be, I was just like, I yeah. couldn't believe. Okay, so no, but it's really more embarrassing to think of like random strangers on the street knowing that I squirt when I come. Like, I know. it's just embarrassing. I, I couldn't. I was like, what am I reading? I, I thought this was a Gemma Jameson port. Like you know, I don't know what that is, but I'm sure Gemma Jameson something. was one of like these like very well known porn stars uh, back when. Yeah. I mean, I don't know who the new ones are. The but. funny thing is. I'm actually kind of shy when it comes to men. I don't, as confident as I, I know, I know you're laughing because you read my book and you're like, this one is shy about literally shy. nothing. But I did it. That's not the word I would I use. did it purposefully because again, 
I knew that if I sanitized it, if I censored myself, it wouldn't be real. It wouldn't be authentic and it wouldn't help other people. To me, you know, when I met, when I first came out of the community, I got invited to this Vogue thing. I sent in a drawing and it was meet um, all these really top designers. And I remember meeting Donatella Versace and um, Albert Elbaz and all of these people. And we got to ask them all these questions. And what I loved about it is that they were real. Yeah. They didn't bullshit you. They didn't tell you, oh, it's easy. And oh, yes, you know, manufacturing is a breeze and logistic. I mean, they were real. And that's the only way to actually help someone is to show the messiness and the confusion and the mistakes and the whole journey. Totally true. So I had to do it. Is it comfortable? No. Do I want to think about people reading those things? No. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. I went on Jeff Lewis's XM. Oh, I know. I think I saw that. Oh my God. I he was, was so blushing. Oh yeah. And they had someone read <laughs> oh, one of those passages. Even read it. It I know. so embarrassing. Oh my God. I saw that. So she talked about Jeff Lewis. He was on that show. Was it Flipping Out? Or is that the name yeah, of the show? Yeah, he's great. He's he, such a dear friend of mine. I love him so, so much. He's so funny. He's so, but also, you know what? He's real. He's true blue. He's such a good friend. I love him dearly. I, I love really that. Do. See, that's what I think people resonate with that, like yeah. being real. And I think yeah. that, you know, love you or hate you in any way. Like, no, if yeah, you I'm are, an open book. That's the funny thing people about who are, me. Like, people love vanilla because it's plain, right? It's easy. It's easy. It's safe. It's safe. I'm it's not plain. safe. I'm not easy. Right? But I am open and I don't hide anything. I mean, it's ridiculous. It is what it is. And people yeah. are going to either love you for it yeah. or not like That's you for it. it. And most people who don't like you is because of their, probably because they're scared or fearful. I and am. they see something in themselves they can't, like, they don't want to face. That's usually why people, like, disdain someone else, I Thank think. You. I agree with um, but I am on. frightening to a lot of people. I am dangerous for a lot of people. Well, I think also women who have stronger personalities or successful mm -hmm. is very intimidating, I even to so. other women yeah. who don't have, because either they feel that they aren't that and it makes them uncomfortable, but usually again, it's because of themselves. Right. I tend to get along really well with women, like oh, easier than with men. I, I find I can yeah, communicate with them better. And I, and I understand them more, like right. as confident as I am in business, as confident as I am in interpersonal relationships, when it comes to women, I'm kind of a novice when it comes to guys. I mean, think about it. My first dates was when I was 42 years old. I'm 51. That's nine years ago. So I don't have much experience. I didn't do prom. I didn't have my first love when I was 16. My first love was when I was 43. That you is know? so crazy. So I have a lot of catching up to do. And clearly I'm a up. terrible judge of male character. Well, disastrous. I mean, maybe so I've got a long way to go. Maybe, maybe <laughs> husbands, but I think you've had some pretty nice escapades along the way. Escapades. Yes. But that's not a relationship. That's, have you had any relationship longer than that one night stand or. Well, I had that the, my one? one boyfriend before my husband, the guy with the Trevi fountain. Oh, right. How long did that last for? Six, seven months. How old was he? 30. 30. So that's really your strike zone, right? The 30-year-olds. Somewhere in late 20s, probably to mid 40s. But where intellectually are you, like, how do you I'm connect? a sapiosexual. It's a new word I learned. Isn't that for someone who you love smart people? Yes. That's I'm attracted to intellect. That's what gets but at me. at 30 and you're 50, what do you- But like, you know why? Because they are, don't think they're all that yet. They're not egotistical shits. Excuse my language. Right. No, no, no. Right. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't need 
someone to support me. I don't want to have more children. I want a partner, yeah. a real partner, an actual equal. And so what I, I mean, again, and I'm sure that there's millions of men who are not like this and happy to meet them. So I'm not ageist, meaning if I meet someone who's right. 55 or 60, who's brilliant and kind and not an egotistical asshole, great. But unfortunately, what I've found is when people are starting in their career, they're still humble. That's if true. they're super successful, they think they're all that. They think they're, they're and I think they're very narcissistic. And I think, unfortunately, that's there's a lot of men out there like that. Because, I don't know why. Honestly, I'm a bit clueless. So, um, but no, obviously, I'm still open. And of course, if I meet someone who's 55 and brilliant and kind, hallelujah. Right. I'm totally in. But I think the reason I skew younger is because it's also. Think about it. I'm at that stage of my journey that most people are in their early 30s. I'm just getting started. I've been in the workforce for nine years. I so also, most people who are 30, they've been in the workforce for nine years. I also think, honestly, it's an energy thing. Yeah. One of my good I just friends. Think very energetic. It, 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 very, <laughs> no, but also it's like a vi energy vibrational thing. Like yeah. you come across, you're very lively, you, you're cutesy. Thank you me. don't come across like an old, like <laughs> kind of like hag, you know, not to say like 50 year olds are hags, but what I'm saying is you want to experience I'm life. Just you want to grow, you're just starting. So I'm just like, getting started. I need someone who's also just getting started. Or, or you're explored, you're like adventurous, yeah. you're spontaneous, exactly. like you're not in that stage of life. So you're going to match with people who are that's also. exactly right. I, that's what it is. It's, like it's not purposeful, but that's just what ends up happening. It is. How about yeah. attractive? Why? I mean, listen, a guy who's 30 is mm -hmm. going to be way more vibrant looks wise i don't really care more vibrant though i just like, need someone who's like fit right and it's easier to be fit when you're 30 yeah versus like right. but 60. in terms of like i don't care height i don't care ethnicity i don't care religion as long as you're not religious right right right, right. um i don't care about any of those things it's really you need to be you know you need to have an intellect you need to be able to have you know stimulating conversation with me and and be kind I'm just so tired of ego. I'm so tired of hubris and this idea that you're God. I just can't handle that anymore. Was your first, okay, your husband, Sylvia, Sylvia, what was his name? Sylvia. Sylvia. Yeah. Um, Cause it looked like you were really happily married before, before all this shit hit the fan basically. Well, no, I mean, it was pretty bad from day one in the sense that, you know, you really didn't want to have my kids around. So the children oh, became a that. constant source of aggravation. And so, you know, about a year in, we realized this is not going to work because I cannot How long were you married? Uh, we got married in June of 2019. So it didn't last oh, very long. And by January 2021, long. we'd already decided we're getting a divorce. Oh, so I what, why did I divorce. think it was longer? No, 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 very short. How long did you date him for? Well, we met... We met in 2015. We started dating like a year and a half later. Oh, and then, but we've known each other since 2015. But I got engaged, I think we were trying, it's funny, I was trying to remember and figure out, I've been literally scrolling to try and figure out when we actually got engaged. I think it was at the end of 2017 or the beginning of 2018. Okay, so let's talk about that because okay, and I want the date. Of course, I love the dating stuff. I can talk all day about mm -hmm. that, but um, because I want to talk about the business stuff. And he was a big, like he was wasn't he the chairman of Elite and La Perla yeah, and all so this. So he stuff. was the CEO and owner of La Perla when I 
when we when our we, our companies did that first co branding. Right. So let's let's okay. I'm going to go back then. Sorry, everybody, no. but this but is too the much. The book here. ends. The book ends with me becoming creative director of La Perla. It doesn't. It, there's nothing about him in the book really, except for like my first meeting for 30 minutes with him because. The book ends when I walk into the door. That's why it's long sleeves to lingerie. Yes. So now we need book two to go from lingerie to EWG to, to where to I am all today, the other stuff. to my unorthodox life. Well, so book two is coming. Are you going to write another book? Because I that is something. Book. Well, I want to yeah. talk about, so you, okay, so you, you have the job at MetLife and then we're going to skip all that. And then what happens is you then, um, how did you, how did you actually, cause you started as a shoe designer and I found yeah. this very interesting. You have no experience. You don't really have any money. You know, you had a little bit of money from MetLife, yeah, nothing, I suppose. Basically. And then you get this gig with some guy who gives you this job opportunity to be a shoe designer for him. Mm-hmm. That's like a big, le- how did you, how did you pull that off? How did you work that? what did you tell other people? Yeah. I mean, when honestly, they're in a shitty situation? I'll tell you. To me, the two greatest strengths that helped me do it are ignorance and stubbornness. Meaning, I didn't know how crazy it was to start a shoe company without a college degree, without knowing anyone in the fashion industry. I'd never heard of PR. I didn't know what marketing was. I didn't know about editors and creative, I mean. Nothing. So it was, hey, I've just time traveled 200 years and I'm still alive. Sorry. Take that. Want some water? I'll, I'll, I'll take your cucumber oh, yeah. and yumminess. Oh, it's okay, very good. good. Do you like it? Mm-hmm. It's okay. For me, I didn't know how much I didn't know. Right. I didn't know what an absurd, bizarre, crazy idea it was to start a fashion brand without any experience. I figured if I can time travel... I can start a shoe brand. Right. And also because I hadn't been technically trained, I wasn't stuck in what is. I wasn't forced into that kind of thinking of, well, this is how it's done. And this is the norm. When I took over um, La Perla and from the day I started with my shoes and then the lingerie, it's always been about, eradicating this concept of suffering for beauty. And when I first started saying the word comfort, we're talking 2016, people in the media told me, Julia, don't use the word comfortable. It's a dirty word in the fashion industry. Well, look how far we've come. It's not a dirty word anymore. And that's because I, like many others, just wouldn't shut up about it. And we said, no, this whole idea of suffering for beauty, of fitting our bodies and stuffing ourselves into torturously painful clothing so that a man can find us attractive, by this is, I mean, it was 2016. Why are women still suffering for beauty? Yeah. And so um, because I wasn't trained uh, in this, what's the norm or what is, I saw what could be. And so that's what I went for. And then the other thing is I'm a very stubborn person. I work very hard. I work 20 hour days till this day and I don't give up and I really plod away. And, you know, so many, you've read the book. There's so many things that happen. My company died 800 times, almost, almost, almost. 
but I just wouldn't let it die. So, but how did the go? Okay. So then you don't know how to be a a shoe designer. I literally taught myself how to make shoes. I taught myself everything. And this guy just gave you the job. I met investors in restaurants. How did you meet? Let's let's talk in in in, on airplanes in because you went anywhere because I was a one woman twenty four seven. PR machine. But you got, I was my company. But you got funding and all this stuff. Oh, yeah. So how, that's what I'm talking, so you went from like having no money living in the shtetl, basically, yep. to then like having a shit ton of money and being very successful. So I need to talk to you about the in-between, how we went from that that side of the pendulum to the other side. And you saw, I mean, it's really, I mean, it's a, it's a long story. That's a big chunk of the book, but basically, this guy because the, the shoe, you know, this guy gives me this opportunity. I was supposed to design shoes for a brand he was buying. He decides not to buy the brand and then says, says, well, but I love your shoe designs. Let's start a company together. And so we do. And it, I mean, it sounds insane, but I do it. I have this little tiny office at WeWork, around 200 square feet, if that much, probably was 140 square feet. And it was the greatest thing in my life. I mean, there was Julia Hart on the door. It was my dream come true to work in fashion. It's what I've wanted since I was old enough to want anything. My first time I remember dreaming of being a fashion designer, I was three years old. You always loved Always. You- From the day I have a memory, I have loved this industry. And so, you know, for me... Were you dressing uh, nice under your outfits? Or no, no you- there's not under. It's just that I covered I myself, say, like, but yeah. I was very... I was as fashionable and figure hugging, meaning I followed all the laws. I didn't follow the spirit of the laws, meaning, okay. yes, I was covered head to toe, but, you still dressed but I was dressed well. Right. For I mean, I looked like, you know, a president's wife, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Always covered head very to toe, conservative. very conservative. And of course I hated it because it's not who I am. I'm not a conservative personality, but at least I would put color in and I got yelled at all the time. And I would say, show me in the Torah where it says, God doesn't lack color. I say the day that God makes gray flowers, that's when I'll stop wearing color. Right. Until then, you're not going to convince me that God hates color. I'm sorry. He doesn't hate color. But you had all these nice clothes. So was your your first husband, was he wealthy then? So, you know, he was successful. I mean, I worked and he worked as well. And he worked for an energy company. Um, And yeah, I mean, that's always been my way of expressing myself. So yeah, I've had... I mean, I had beautiful clothes, you know, I, I still, I was wearing Dior back then too. Right. It was just the Dior things that like a 70 year old would wear right. completely covered more, you know, quote unquote, presidential looking, right. not sexy or feminine or sensual or playful, very proper, very dignified. And yeah. I am not a proper woman. No, you don't. <laughs> I am improper. I'm delightfully very improper, darling. I'm proud of it. And you should be brazen. You're very brazen. brazen. There you go. So then, okay. So then, what happened? Like, so then, how did you go from that? How did the La Perla thing happen? And well, so you know, the way that the shoes started getting sold is Harrods, and, and, and I went to um, Paris Fashion Week because to me, I associated Paris and fashion. I stayed in the nicest hotel. I got a giant suite. Because, you know, fake it till you make it, right? Right. Look successful and then you become successful. And so the first person who walked into my showroom was this woman that I met the night before at a fashion party. And she was the head buyer of Harrods. And even though my shoes in the end didn't go into Harrods because, you know, you read the book, it was a disaster. But her ordering it 
you know, created this trip, this, this trickle effect. And so it was Gowry Lafayette was carrying it and Farfetch was carrying it, and then Gowry Lafayette Dubai. And then all of a sudden it's all over the world and people in Hong Kong are wearing it. And the four seasons in Hong Kong started carrying them in their spa and it just went global. And, um, one thing led to another. I met this guy in Hong Kong and he said, look, La Pearl has been trying to become a fashion brand, a full fashion brand for the last three years. There's been four creative directors and it's not working, but your shoes are so comfortable. They may sell really well with lingerie. Would you be interested in co-branding? And so within two years of launching my company, I co-branded with the largest um, lingerie company in the world that had 127 points of sale globally. So in two years, Julia Hart went global. That to me is what that, that's the part I really want to get to. That to me is, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. And so would you say that you basically made your own luck? Like what would be, I think so. It was the ignorance you said and the stubbornness for sure. And I do believe that if you want something with all your heart and soul, and it's not enough to want it, you have to work. You have to want it so badly that you eat it, sleep it, breathe it, dream it. You can't, it was, it was really life or death. I mean, and I'm not saying that in a hyperbolic way. I mean, it was truly either Julia Hart was going to succeed or I was going to die. Those were the options. Right. And so that's how much you need to want it. And I think if you want it that badly and you work that hard for it, uh, I think the universe helps you. You know, I always say I am more spiritual now than when I was religious. I have gr- I, I believe in God. I have tremendous gratitude. I feel like he has held my hand through this entire journey. Right. And, you know, and as you see, I'm still fighting for my freedom. I'm just getting started. This is just the beginning. So then like, what happened? I've got plans, baby. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not concerned for you. So then you get, but then you end up marrying the guy who gave you that opportunity. So was there yeah. like some kind of like relationship before you made the deal? No, not at all. In fact, I met him for only 30 minutes before the deal was made. Um, and thought he was really obnoxious to really? tell you the truth. And then, you know, the way that it happened is through the company, right? So I met him for 30 minutes in, um, in, uh, where was I? In Tokyo. And then from there he said, okay, now, you know, the creative director has to approve you. The merchandising people have to be. So the rest of the process was not anywhere related to him. So I think the second time I met him, I'd already been working there five, six months. Really? Yeah. So the deal was made already before you even saw him again. Yeah. And then, and then how did that whole thing, how did you get from there to elite because elite's like a massive modeling. Well, agency. you know, I didn't really want to take over elite in the beginning because. And he's a chairman of that. Was well, that no, the, he he owned the company at the time. I think a lot of people were, to be honest, were conf- were a little bit confused. They thought that it was him that kind of gave you your. Well, first of all, leverage. it was first. You know, first it was Julia Hart marries Silvio because he's a billionaire. That's right. That was my first thing. I had an amazing team of people who all came on board because of me, who all joined EWG after I took over and we've done incredible things. And, and the company became collaborative, cohesive, really acted like a global company. And when I took over, there was no, there was no CFO. There was no global CFO. Can you imagine a global model management company with no CFO, with no head of HR? It was crazy. So there was no order yeah. or organization. There was no structure. And 
everyone in the company wanted the structure. They wanted to act like a, I mean, the people in the company, there's so many wonderful, hardworking people, and they were so excited for the future. They loved the digital and they were, you know, great partners to have. And we, we did this all together and I'm very proud of what we've accomplished together. So we're not going to let any man steal my work, my effort, the value that I have created with the people in that company and try and take it all away from me. No. Right. I'm glad that you said that. Is there any other companies or ideas you want to do? Would you go back into the shoe business? Oh, no, you know, I have a a, a fashion brand that's coming to stores in December. No, I didn't. You said I I didn't have any idea. Shapewear. I have a shapewear brand called Plus Body. Um, and it's going to basically every store that you shop in. I, I think it's in Macy's, Bloomies, Nordstrom's. I can't recall which ones it is, but it's in a bunch of And what Dillard's. is it called? It's called Plus Body by Julia Hart. It is a shapewear brand. Um, like a Spanx or oh, no. Skims? So it's very, very different. It's okay. really exciting. Um, it's taken me a bunch of years. So basically, as you know, all shapewear is beige, white, and black. Mm-hmm. And... That's not because people are boring or because they have no imagination. All shapewear is that ugly and looks like shapewear because if you put color on a material and then you stretch it, if it's stretchy, you get those nasty lines. Yeah, and you can see it. And you can see it. Yeah. So that's why shapewear is so ugly. Oh, okay. So we had to figure out a different way to put color into material so that when you stretch it, you don't get those nasty lines. We found a company in Japan that we work with who have figured out this way that they heat fuse the color into the material. And so it's like Elastigirl. Wait, I have a picture. I'll show you. It's like Elastigirl. You would never believe that it's shapewear. You can wear it out as much as you can wear it in. And then when we realized, wait a minute, if we are um, fusing the color in, why don't we fuse the materials together? And so for the first time, you have bodysuits that don't have that nasty line down the back. You have those boy shorts that don't have that line here in the front because the materials are fused together. So it's the thinnest, tightest shaper you could possibly imagine, but it's beautiful. You can wear it out as much as you can wear it in. Here. And it holds you in? It completely. Look. Which is- and it gives everybody, for some reason, this is accidental. Totally not purposeful. I'm going to be honest. It gives everyone boobs. It's unbelievable. Really? It, it doubles everybody's breast size. It's just so cool. I go buy a few Take a look and outfits. scroll through. How many shoes? Oh wow! Yeah. Does Hold that look like? Does that look like shapewear? shapewear? Exactly. No way. See, when I was when we were showing it to stores, they made me take it off the models. They didn't believe me at shapewear. That's shapewear. Scroll through. That looks like a dress. Yeah. You can wear it in. No, you can wear it out. This is not shapewear. I mean, it's crazy. This? Yeah. It's actually really nice. Thank you. And now we're making bathing suits like this. Imagine you can wear a colorful bathing suit with patterns that looks like any other bathing suit. It's going to suck you in. Well, no. Now it's shapewear. Right now it's just shapewear. How much is the price point for that? Well, like a a normal... it's pretty much the same as a Wolford. Like a normal. Typical, same okay. price. So it's not like, it's not like. No, tour. it's not outrageous. It's that crazy. I mean, it's still expensive. Meaning, you know, Wolford's a hundred, $130. Right. It's not $5. Right. But you can no, nice. wear it in, wear it out. You know, nice. what made me think of it is that Br- is Bridget Jones. I saw it many more years than, you know, later than most people. Yeah. And there's this moment 
when she has to decide whether she's going to wear the shapewear and go to the party for her first date with Hugh Grant. But then she knows she's going to look better in her dress with the shapewear, but then she can't bring him home because she's embarrassed. She doesn't want him to see that she's oh, wearing shapewear. Oh, I don't remember this at all. And but. so she decides, you know what? She's going to wear the shapewear so she can look good in her dress. And then she gets tipsy and brings him home and forgets about the shapewear. And there's that moment where... He takes her shoes and he's like, oh, look at these tiny, naughty little shoes. And then he starts lifting her dress and he's like, oh, look at these fabulous, naughty little dress. And then he gets to the shapewear and he's like, oh my God, what is this? <laughs> and that moment, I thought to myself, how many women have gotten there where we're embarrassed because we're wearing shapewear. And so I wanted to eradicate that moment. I wanted to, this whole idea of comfort, and functional and like and and like looking good too. <laughs> exactly luxury and functionality that was really nice actually when is it in the stores December. <coughs> are you okay you're having more water <coughs> my god i've been December. making you talk for way too long okay i'm gonna i'll wrap this up god knows how long it's been for i mean listen she's probably like has like she's probably not gonna have my voice a voice for like <laughs> for two weeks um the, okay so by the way it was amazing having you on you're amazing my signs like I don't know what's happening, but uh, <laughs> go find, if you guys, um, Julia's book is called Brazen. It really is a great read. It's super interesting. It's fascinating, just like you are. Thank you. Um, and what, tell, tell people where they, if they don't know you, where they can find you, the book and all the yes. other jazz. So it's called Brazen. You can go to brazenbook.com. Um, I'm at Julia Hart on Instagram. Watch my Netflix show, My Unorthodox Life, and get ready for season two. Yes. It's going to be crazy. I can only Oh, imagine. my God. No, you can't. I, I was going to say, maybe not. <laughs> no, maybe you can't. Is it like a Real Housewives type of like drama? It's, I can't even put a name to it. You just got to watch it. Oh, it's, my gosh. It's, I mean, you think season one... Yeah. Just wait till you see season two. Really? Oh, oh my yeah. gosh. I'm oh, excited. Yeah. yeah, I'm excited. I'm super excited. Well, thank you for being on. <laughs> thank you for having me on. You know, I think one of my favorite things about this is getting to meet women like you. And then Aww, thank it kind you. of expands my friend circle. And absolutely, it's so nice. It's so nice because there's, I think. I have a guy for strong, you. What? I have a guy for you. Just remember. Oh, do you? I'll Ooh, tell you after. Goody, goody. Yeah. Sorry, but go ahead. Just keep on with your flattery. Then I'll tell you after. No, but I'm serious. You know. You know, we were talking about Lisa before. Like yeah. People like you and Lisa, women need to see us together. A hundred percent. I agree each with other you. Because as a group, we're so much stronger. Absolutely. And it's, I think, women who are... Uh, you find people who are similar. You gravitate mm -hmm. to kindred with, spirits, kindred, and they and they help. Uh, they build you up, so and they true. help. I think it's yeah. things are done in, in in you. You can't build a village with one person. Yeah. There's you know? a there's um, a saying in the Psalms in Tehillim, which is Tehom Korail Tehom, which means the deep call to the deep. Like-minded people find each I other. I love that. Exactly. And yeah. that's so true. Yeah, it's really true. So I'm so glad I met you. I'm going to grab too. your information. Yeah, I'm going to exchange and numbers with you. Bye. Habits and hustle. Time to get it rolling. Stay up on the grind. Don't stop. Keep it going. Habits and hustle from nothing into something. All out. Hosted by Jennifer Cohen. Visionaries. Tune in. You can get to know them. Be inspired. This is your moment. Excuses. We ain't having that. The Habits and Hustle podcast. Powered by Habit Nest. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, 
and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.